Dotnet Rocks episode 903 with guest Russ Unger. Recorded live Tuesday, August 13th, 2013. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at T-E-L-E-R-I-K.com. And by Franklin's.net, makers of Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at GesturePAK.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much, and welcome back to Donnet Rocks. It's Carl and Richard. We're at that conference. That conference is the name of the conference in Wisconsin, Dells, Wisconsin. Hey, buddy. Hey, man. This is only the second time they've done this show, and uh, you feel the buzz in the air. It's a great place. Yeah, and like uh, Code Mash, it's at a Kalahari resort, which is an indoor water park. It's a lot. Of, it's family friendly. It's a lot of fun. Great food. Great, great time. Yeah, they they had a real good deal for people to bring their families, come along, and they get to go to the pig roast tonight. And they have a bunch of kid related events. I did a talk on internet safety for parents and kids. And uh, just before I went on, like about two hours before that, they literally had. The zoo brought a bunch of animals over for the kids to check out, including tiger cubs, a sloth, a kangaroo. It was crazy. That is amazing. Yeah, and, and the place was half-packed with parents, too. I said, next time we do this, just do it in the evening event so everybody could check out the animals. What a great time we're having. Okay, well, let's get started with Better Know Framework. All right, buddy, what do you got? Well, what I got is we're talking about UI today with our guests, so I figured that I would uh, find something UI-related. And I remember pulling my hair out trying to figure out how to make a WPF custom control. And so I wanted to find an updated source sort of overviewing what your options are for creating custom controls in XAML. And uh, if you go to tinyurl.com slash control authoring, Microsoft has this nice little overview of uh, of how to make controls and not just to make them from scratch. They start with alternatives to writing a new control and all the different ways that you can uh, extend controls. And then talking about the different models for control authoring and then the basics of control authoring and some related topics. But And it's a very general list that I just gave you, but it goes into detail and talks about, you know, triggers and templates and styles and uh, all deriving from user control and the benefits of doing that, deriving from control, deriving from framework element and the benefits and the drawbacks, uh, dependency properties, uh, routed events, um, binding, like all of this, and then stuff for designers uh, as well, attached properties, um, shared resources, just really good stuff. It's a great read and, and it puts together under one um, roof, all of this stuff. And it's also for .NET 4.5. So if you're doing stuff in Windows 8, uh, this is going to be relevant as well. Well, and I appreciate to start with, you know, alternatives to making control. I, in some ways, I feel like that's a last resort, building a control. Yeah, it absolutely is. And, and like I said, when I was building Gesture Pack, I based the UI on a, on a custom control, and it wasn't fun. <laughs> but uh, there was a lot of, it seemed like there was a, quite a bit of ceremony that had to go on. But once I got it, it's it works like a champ. Awesome. All right. So there you go. No to learn. Love it. Richard, who's talking to us? I grabbed a comment off of show 894. And that's the one we did with Fabio Matsui talking about, quote, working with creatives. And I say, quote, because this comment comes from uh, Runeil Peterson, who says, I'm a big fan of the show, but I don't like the title of this episode. And after I read that, it just made me think, you're, you know, you're right, because there's all kinds of creative folks in there. And I didn't want to say that it was a separation like that, because it really wasn't. But, you know, uh, I, it was a good show. Fabio talked about some, uh, some important things in there, about just working with folks that aren't necessarily technical. Right. And it's not a pejorative to be technical. We, you know, this is not the way we wanted to come across. Right. And it's every, they were all creative in this whole process. But let me uh, continue on with what uh, Rune said here. The reason I don't like it is it implies that only the visual design part of software design is a creative process. And I couldn't disagree more. 
I create new, unique things all day long, even though the output is not visual. I figured out that I wanted to do software when I had a class in programming and realized that only my imagination would be the limit to what I could do with software. I can't think of a job more creative than the one I have, not even being a musician, an artist, or, quote, a visual designer. Very well put. Yeah, and absolutely agree. There is all kinds of creative activity going on inside that. He also has a side note here, which is ties in remarkably well with what you said. He said, as a side note, I don't consider XAML a UI technology. It's a simple tool for instantiating object structures. I've used it a lot for simple dependency injection and even use it to instantiate window forms UIs. Wow. Rune, you crazy. <laughs> you crazy. <laughs> but I'll send you a mug anyway. Uh, and so if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, you write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on any of our mobile apps for Windows 8, Windows Phone, Android, and iOS. And those fine apps were built by the guys at Diatom Enterprises who'd like to build you an app. At diatomenterprises.com. And before we go any further, let me tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online with hundreds of hardcore developer courses authored by MVPs and industry experts releasing about 40 to 45 new courses every month, still offering a 10-day free trial, 200 minutes, and a wide range of topics, iOS, Java, Android, web development, pretty much anything and everything on the Microsoft stack. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And with that, let me introduce our guest today. Russ Unger is an experienced design director for GE Capital Americas, where he leads teams and projects in design and research. He is co-author of the book, A Project Guide to UX Design, author of the book, Designing the Conversation and the forthcoming speaker camp for Peach Pit Press, Voices That Matter. Russ is also working on a book on guerrilla design. That's G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A, not gorilla, as in bananas and ooh-ooh-ooh. And research methods that is due out as well, sometime. <laughs> Real soon now. Russ is co-founder of Chicago Camps, which hosts low-cost, high-value technology events in the Chicago area. And he is also on the advisory board for the Department of Web Design and Development at Harrington College of Design. Russ has two daughters who both draw better than he does and are currently beginning to surpass his limited abilities in coding. Wow, Russ. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to talk to designers on this show because, as you know, you know, this is a, a definitely a changing business. And uh, I would say, ever, I think we all agree that ever since the iPhone, wow, design can really make a difference. We sort of figured out and I'd like to think the designers figured that out a long time ago. Uh, yeah. What I think really is, is has been the challenge is common ground. Right. Um, getting away from, frankly, waterfall practices of throwing things over a wall and just giving it to somebody. Well, UI is stuff I can insert later, right? I'll just give it. Here's the code. Get to work. We can yeah. smudge a little user experience on that, on, give a little rounded corner, make it pretty. That's right. fancy. That's what we do. We've been in this business a long time, and, you know, the Battleship Gray form was uh, the moneymaker for years and years and years. And, and you know, then we, we almost sort of had looked at design with disdain because nobody had a design gene. And, uh, you know, once we had VB1, uh, everybody was a cool designer and you got the most horrendous user interfaces known to man. But the goal was there to build software that was productive and make money. And we weren't concerned so much with design. Well, that... that I mean, it makes sense, right? You you came up with kind of the ability to create things before, and, and the developers were the designers at that time, right? right? That was It was what you knew and what made sense to you. There wasn't really that option of, can I go out and talk to the users and hear how they're, how they're, how they're thinking about this or see how they're using it? I don't even know that they it, knew, right? I mean, Microsoft gave us a design guideline and gave us <laughs> controls that did that. That's where Battleship Gray came from, and the users were expected to like it. How'd that work? Pretty well, actually. <laughs> and then the iPhone came along and blew it up. Turned out to be, well, maybe the web came along. Although the web kept everybody from really liking it. Because, you know, you can only stand so many flaming logos before it just doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> Listen, now, I think the deprecation of the blink, cat, uh, blink tag you, is the biggest sin. You heard about that, aren't sin. you? Yes. Blink and Marquee are your friends. <laughs> I like the blink tag. And, and, 
It was you a know, lonely we, bastion in the night. It was very nice. You're being very sarcastic, and I do appreciate that. No, I miss the Blink Tag. I really do. I love <laughs> no, the Blink Tag. I Come used to own now. a domain name, BlinkTag.org. I swear to God. make fun of it. No. <laughs> I, I liked it. it all was, right. It we, was can't go cool. on. we can't go on. I'm sorry. You have just... <laughs> at, at the risk of losing all credibility. Yeah, we're way too designer-oriented to accept that you want a Blink Tag. I, not that I want to necessarily use it. It's just that it's kind of like the old cat that you don't want to put down, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's just wrong. <laughs> Listen, Don't it's put not, down the cat. I didn't say I wanted to do more Flash. <laughs> That's true. Okay, now you just talk crazy talk. That's right. Blink came before Flash, didn't it? You did. <laughs> we weren't talking about really evil things, just a little evil things. <laughs> so where were we? <laughs> yeah, where were we? Well, anyway, so, you know, now that stuff works... And this is really the way I think of it. You know, we were so concerned about stuff working and working well and not running out of memory and, you know, uh, getting our data correctly and dealing with nulls. Like all of the programming stuff, sort of, we fixed that. And now real developers are focused on the presentation of our application to the users and how how we can make that better. Not just the way it looks, but the way it works. You know, I would agree with that, but I'd also agree with where it, where it works and where it looks. Mm-hmm. You can't think about your laptop alone anymore, your right. desktop. You just, you can't. I'm sorry, it's 2013. If you're not thinking about mobile you, or, or the other places where consumers and users are with your content, whatever that is, yep. you're kind of missing a big boat. And I think we've got the sense now that if you're trying to be public-facing in any sense, you better have a phone solution. It's not optional. Yeah, even, I mean, you see it in the enterprise for certain, and you see it everywhere else. I mean, there's enterprise organizations that are buying very large pallets of iPads or yep. iDevices, any tablets, and pushing them out to their, their teams, sales teams, whatever it is, to make sure that they have that. For sure. So, and it... I, I saw your session here. Uh, I, I saw the abstract of the session, and you talked about wireframing UIs. But it, if you're going to speak to mobile and so forth, this is really user experience stuff, isn't it? Sure. Do I you, mean, what we all do is is that, right? right? I mean, everybody's on the user experience team, in my opinion. Has it become a cliche term already? You know, there's th- schools of thought about it. Um, I think it was Ryan Carson that said something like, user experience designer is a bullshit job title. You can bleep <laughs> that if you need to, I'm quoting. Um, and... You know, there's a, there's a lot of school of thought. It, the word has become popular and known mm-hmm. um, as interaction, interaction designers and information architects and researchers. All of these folks have been doing these different levels of things over the year and uh, years, and it's never really been, oh, we need this type of thing. We need this or this. We don't know what that is. User experience design, love it or leave it, whatever mm-hmm. it is, it's something that businesses, something your boss, your boss's boss can understand right and they can say we need a user experience designer they may not know that it's interaction design and research and usability testing and prototyping or wireframing right um they may not know it's any of or all of that stuff that you're trying to fit into a body or a couple of bodies so i don't know that it's i'm kind of conflicted in that um the term doesn't bother me so much sure uh but it's common and known enough that people are starting to understand that they need it so Mm -hmm. why do you run away from it when it's finally gotten you kind of a seat at the table. Right. It, it, at least in many cases. And there's still plenty of places I think are not there, but, you know, it's certainly turning the corner. How much psychology do you have to know or understand? How much do you have to know about human nature to be a good designer? So that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, because there are p- people who have all kinds of psychology background. I mean, you can. You can put psychology into just about anything. Mm-hmm. I think the reality is you have to know how to listen to people. You have to know how to ask them good questions. And it's not, do you like this mobile app? It's got to be, you know, something like, how would you perceive that you could use this? And and be open-ended with these questions and get kind of the good information. Uh, I'm not going to quote Henry Ford, but people in general might tell you something that they need or they think they need because they want to answer the question as opposed to kind of uh, approaching things in a little bit more abstract nature and, and getting the real problems that are happening. I'm, are you, I'm answering are you that av- lousily. Can are you averse to putting cameras on them while they use your apps and watching what they do? We do. Um, we do. You know, absolutely. There, there are usability testing labs that will do just that. Sure. You, you can 
and I'm, I'm making hand gestures, but you may have a room with cameras at all angles, and if you've got mobile devices, that may be in a sled that is being held that has a camera over it. Right. Um, so cameras to watch them, cameras to watch what they're doing as well. There's a bunch of different approaches. And I, I like... I, I love the hotspot maps on web pages to see where people were actually focusing and where their mouse pointers went and so forth. You see what they ignore and what they what they spend their time on. The heat maps are interesting to a point. Mm-hmm. Um, they assume, kind of like eye tracking, right? That everybody goes to a website with the same purpose. Yes. And so, you know, grain of salt is the way I would look well, at it. Well, I think that. you need to extract that data to say when you have, you find the u- sort of unique patterns. But also, it's a presumption that the mouse pointer is actually where the eye is anyway. Exactly. I mean, I know I'm a crazy mouse u- read, uh, user. When I go on a website, I'll highlight copy and right. I'll scroll through and do weird, you know, I, I think I'm fidgety and high energy in nature. So I probably am not your best candidate mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to do heat map tracking on. In fact, I would probably be really embarrassed if I watched a screen capture of me using the web. Well, <laughs> I know back. having actually looked at real eye track data, turns out men think about sex all the time. The way they study pictures, it makes it very clear. Ow. <laughs> You're okay. on your own. Yeah, it's going to take the fifth on that. <laughs> I'm just looking at data. I wasn't expressing an opinion of any kind. Now, wireframing yeah. is can, as simple as drawing boxes on a napkin. But yeah. There are other ways to do that than that, that will... Uh, so there's a number of ways, and this is part of what I'll talk about is um, I talk I, we call the talk the right way to wireframe. We had mm-hmm. four different people um, use four different tools. Two of them were actually prototypers. Two of them were wireframe people. Mm-hmm. Um and we kind of identify the process. The thing about wireframing or prototyping is it's a communication tool. That's right. what it boils down to. This is to communicate an idea to somebody. Um, it's more to make sure that you've got something right. Now, in a perfect world, I'll wireframe all over the place in a bun- bunch of different ways and a bunch of different times throughout a project. Um, if you're brainstorming and kicks, kicking something off, that's when you're sketching the most. Get as right. many ideas out as you can. There's things like the design studio method that you can read about and learn about. Um, but you'll get these ideas out and you can walk around and talk to users about right. those. Talk to non-users and get kind of the oh crap stuff out of the way. Like, you know, I don't understand what that means. And, and get kind of your ideas a little more refined. Go to a digital tool that makes it a little more cleaner and clear, mm-hmm. especially when you want to talk to internal stakeholders or something like that. I think you're really just creating a diagram so they have some reference point to talk about what you're going to build. Absolutely. But you're also prioritizing content mm-hmm. and, and organizing it. So you're looking at things like, you know, hierarchy of content, for example, but you're also looking at your navigation structure and do things make sense? Do labels make sense? Right. Is this starting to to make sense to anybody who would use this in their context? Mm-hmm. So this is where it's really important to go out and talk to a user and and have them look at it and ask them some good questions about it and, and see what their response is. You figure what their natural hierarchies are to the da- information. Absolutely. I, I do think as developers, we get these initial set of requirements. We start building typically a data model or some kind of organization to the data that's yeah. going to organize efficiently for our technology. And then we start building UIs based on that organization. It's really well, got nothing to do with the way people are actually using the data. Well, and that's and that's why... You know, to me, it's it's amazing that companies will have plenty of time to or plenty of money to not do a project right, but but then also do it again later. Yep. Um, and that's something you'll hear in making well, circles. Because making right? is actually considered progress. <laughs> <laughs> but but if you invest a little more time and let your your user experience design team go out there and talk to some users and come back in, um, frankly, we work with our developers close handedly yeah. so that we we're all on the same page. Frankly, if I'm designing something and you're going to say, that's bat crap crazy, it won't fly in this, that's just not the way it works, you're also going to help me find a solution, mm-hmm. right? And we're all going to be happier. There's going to be this, these sign-off issues that won't happen of, wow, we can't build this. This is crazy, right? So, Monique, there is, it does feel like you want to, you, you're t- talking about a very design-first approach. I, you know, in part, but we're also, I think... By nature, we're hyper collaborative. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, it's well, you've got pressure going on both sides. You've got what the users' needs are or wants are, and how they want to organize stuff, and what's actually reasonable to build. Well, Everybody's going to yell at you. Well, there's also the business goals too, right? Mm-hmm. We, I mean, if you're building something that's not making money, it's a hobby, I yep. think, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so you've got business goals and objectives, then you've got the user, and then you've got you know any developmental platform in between or mm-hmm. multiples that you've got to try to appease. So if we're not all working together, I mean, it just turns into a crap show. So I got to I got to ask, what was the outcome of having these four different 
methods of wireframing. What did you learn from that? So we all went away for a month and worked independently on the same project. We had the same set of requirements, the same set of um, personas. We didn't talk to any users, which was kind of painful. Right. Um, but what we found is each one of us did a whole, an awful lot of sketching. Being prototypers or, or wireframers, we did a lot of sketching before we sat down in a digital tool. And we showed that. Um, and so using sketching as an ideation, ideation tool or right. wireframing or whatever it is, you know, if, if you and I sat next to each other in the building and we were working on the same project, I can sketch something up or I can get you in front of a whiteboard and we can talk it through. Sure. And we can come up with the best darn solution, you know, for that point in time. We'll certainly convince ourselves of that. Exactly. Well, of course. <laughs> um, and, and get something at least together that makes sense or the start of an idea that, that will evolve. Mm-hmm. So we used sketching to get ideas to a firm point that made sense to us. Um, in fact, I think in my presentation, I showed that I did 15 sketches for three different screens. Nice. Just to get the ideas out and make sure, you know, which one of those made, made the most sense. And I, I think I probably still ended up with a <coughs> carousel. <clears throat> but, uh, <laughs> but I'd like to admit that carousel. that was a couple of years ago. <laughs> it wasn't really my fault. I might have been working in advertising at the time. Uh, okay. <laughs> Are you selling me the carousels, the new blink tag? Wow. No, it's no, the marquee tag. Because, Come on. No, because I would like to keep the blink tag. <laughs> it's more like the marquee, isn't it? It moves from left to right, right to left. I think we're talking about the same promotional website that has the big carousel hero image with three content boxes underneath yeah. with lorem ipsum text in each of them. <laughs> Go ahead. You just build this. We'll fill it, we'll fill it in later, right? It'll get be fine. No, no problem. Don't yeah, worry. We fine. can do that. Easy. Not a big deal. Yeah, I put that file in the cloud so it's always available. When at any meeting I'm in, I just whoosh, break that out. That's, you know, that's, I, I pulled out a bunch of those once. I was looking at old wireframes I'd worked on, and I think I pulled out half a dozen in probably 10 minutes from old portfolio stuff, and I was kind of ashamed. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, a little embarrassing. Well, yeah, if you're not embar- embarrassed at your old designs. <laughs> well, <laughs> well I, I'm covered there. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I also appreciate the idea that you're making multiples here. So the barrier is going to be really low to create enough stuff to actually talk to someone because you are going to toss it out and do it again. Absolutely. Um, Todd Zaki Warfel and I are working on that gorilla methods, gorilla design uh, and research methods book. Right. We started working on it, got about 75% done, and then life blew up and we're in different directions. But we've talked about bringing it back. But one of the things we've done in our workshop mm-hmm. is um, – we were in Lisbon, Portugal, and we sent people out with bags of candy and their sketches and had them talking to complete strangers on the street. Right. Now, in Giving hindsight, candy bags away of to candy. strangers on the street. <laughs> exactly. Didn't your parents ever teach you anything? They weren't children. Um, <laughs> but but we, we sent people out and, you know, with your phone over someone's shoulder. Right. Looking down at a piece of paper holding a, a, a design of a wireframe or whatever it is. Right. You're not recording faces, so you're not gathering personal information. No. But you're able to, to ask some good questions and so do some testing impressions. really quick. And, you know, um, you can do this in half a day. You sure. can go from ideas to sketches. Where the to- sketches good enough that they knew what they were looking at. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, I I could – if I wish I had it here. I could show you some. They, they were you, – you see the recordings of people going – this or this, you know, pushing, like buttons. pushing buttons on paper. And are you just catching that sort of visceral reaction? Which one makes you happy? No, it's more like um, how would you – I think we designed a hotel check-in and check-out app right. because we had a really awful experience in London and at, at a hotel, and that's where the idea came from. <laughs> um, and, and so we said um, – like I, one of the ones I w- I'm watching from Portugal said, um, you know, using this application, how do you think you would be able to get into your room? Mm-hmm. And they had buttons that didn't say get into your room. And so the person would kind of look at the screen and like, oh, I would check this, you know, click on this one for checking in. Right. And and so guiding them along the way, just getting feedback and ideas. Um, it's interesting because in, in these group exercises, people will often think we've got a great solution and then they'll go talk to users. Right. And users will tell them things that they never would have imagined you know, from, from looking at the sketch. Well, I wouldn't go that, that far. Come on. <laughs> they now. will put any input into any box that is, will accept anything. <laughs> well, users like to put things places that you don't expect. Whose Let's fault just, is that though? Is that, is that the fault of them or the fault of the actual form fields that are there that are required that maybe shouldn't be? Well, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Touche. Well, have, have you not back. heard this trick of, um, if you go to, if, like for a banking site where they ask you to choose three security questions, what's your high school? Oh, what's your dog's name? What's your second grade teacher's husband's See, name? Those are all good questions. The it, questions that suck are, what is your favorite this? 
this? Or what is your favorite well, that? Well, the, the trick is to go in there and answer chocolate or something to all of them. Right. <laughs> so that you never have to remember your second grade teacher's uh, that's husband's a good name, idea. right? <laughs> it's not like there's not hacks for these things. That's such a good idea. Nobody what says you have to be do, honest. Check? <laughs> right. What are they going to call up your school and say, yes, I'd like to know who Carl Franklin's second grade teacher exactly. was? So, so, I mean, you know, there's hacks for those things. When, when we force things upon people that maybe don't make the most amount of sense. Oh, my sense. God. You just totally blew my mind with that. It's like you – I can't get a – holy crap, chocolate. Of just, course. It, it just worked for me, yeah, with uh, with Bank the other day. <laughs> oh, come on. It's not like you don't use the same PIN number for your debit card as you do for your voicemail. Um, exactly. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> That is one two six eight one two six eight. <laughs> I repeat. <laughs> I, I, and I do agree with this idea that we want to make apparent UIs that folks will should be naturally going to the right places. That all of those things that make sense. And it, this tendency to just design based on the data model rather than design on how people want to interact with stuff is is part of the problem. But I also think that folks. You know, you avoided saying the Henry Ford quote, which apparently Henry Ford didn't actually say. And, and you mean the one, if I'd asked the customer what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Something right. like that. Yeah. 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 Which is, you know, he apparently didn't actually say that, which is a shame because it's an awfully clever thing to say. But it speaks well to the truth when we ask people about things is they tend to simply ask for more of what they've got. Well, or it, within the context of what they already know. Well, absolutely. And we know that for, well, we always know everybody's going to want something to be faster. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a given, right? But I mean, the reality is, um, when you watch and observe somebody and you, you ask them open-ended questions, then through analysis of doing this with multiple people, synthesis and analysis and pulling this together, you can identify patterns of problems mm -hmm. and you can bring those out as opposed to giving them, you know, six more buttons. Right. It may be, what they're all experiencing is something else that could happen from a restructuring of content or removing all the godforsaken iframes or right. whatever it is that's in there that um, was built because of some crazy requirement before. Mm -hmm. I mean, I worked with an insurance company once where um, the developers were given a requirement of everything must fit on a single screen, no scrolling. Right. So there were stacks of iframed content. Terrible. And if we've ever used Amazon or eBay or anything else in the world, people will scroll. Yep. I mean, there's tons of, of single-page scrolling websites. Mm -hmm. I'm guilty for having some myself. Um, so but you got to know that requirement came down from somebody who never built anything, didn't know how to build it, didn't understand what they were saying. But they were senior enough. It was some VP who just said... I don't like scrolling, so well, or they it. or they had customer complaints that it was too much scrolling, right? And, and they needed to see more information in one place. And or, is that the real problem? Or, or pop up screens or other things? Yeah, yeah I hidden, mean, hidden UI. There's a lot of stuff that happens like that. So sure. I, I mean, and, and that's usually happening with legacy systems. I think is mm -hmm. what we're seeing too, right? The the big redesign effort that happens with that stuff is kind of your best opportunity to go talk to people. Anyway, right. you get the sort of arbitrary yeah. design requirements that 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 then and the workaround actually makes a worse UI than the original problem. You know, we do a lot of asking why. Why are we doing this? Yeah. Why does this make sense? Yeah. Why do you want 500,000 likes on Facebook? Yeah. What, why is what this does this actually get you? Exactly. But I, I think the, the, I've also found folks demanding they want to see all the data. It's like, we have a quarter million customers. I need to see them all. Really? Yeah. How does that help you? And how much time are you spending doing your task? Yeah. With that, is there some math we can do to make your life easier? Well, exactly. You're asking me to do an incredible programming feat of moving a quarter million customers without it taking a long time. Well, yeah, and I know absolutely. you're never going to use them. And it should be live, right? It can't be something that you just run a job at, oh, no. at 2 a.m. every day. It's got to be real time all the time. It's got to be real time all the time. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, the, again, that's why we stopped talking to the users. Those people are crazy. I don't think that's a user issue. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's, um, I mean, if you looked at that really, right, that's not necessarily a use, user issue. That's a demand issue. Somebody has a crazy demand put upon them. Right. And so in their mind, they have to say, I need to see everything right now because somebody could ask me for something. I've also found that it was a confidence issue. I don't, tr if I can't see the data, I don't trust that it's actually there. So how did I create metaphors that gave, you know, just putting a count of how many users there was made that guy relax. So I think the question, which is usually to the user of, what would you like, what do you want, you know, your software to do is the wrong question. I it, think in a the lot question of cases, should be, 
what do you need to do when you sit down at the software? A lot what is of, your yeah. goal? So yeah. a, a lot of what we'll do is, um, and, and this is kind of the, the first question you ask anybody is, what do they do and, and what's their, their job or their role and how do they do their day? You can pull a lot out of that 20 minutes of conversation sure. with somebody um, yeah. and watching them do their work and asking them why certain things are being done or, or watching them uh, as they, they do their own self-hacks. Right. You know, that's where you start to learn things. Like I've seen people use spreadsheets with math in it because a website's too complex for right. them to to do it in because sure. it just doesn't make as much sense and to so reload let's a say form. When you say, what do you want your software to do? They, they want a spreadsheet control. You know, you know, it's like that. Possibly, right? Well, you know what I'm saying? But that's not what they want. That, you know, that's, you're fixing their hack to a particular problem that they have. Yeah. And I think, whereas, whereas yeah. if you ask them, what do you want? What do you do? What's the end goal of this process? You know, then, then yeah. you can rethink things from. Well, you'll hear them say, well, if I didn't have to do this or right. if other people were using this because that's what they're supposed to do, but they right. pick up the phone and call me because I'm better at it. Yeah then my job would be much easier. Mm -hmm. And so it's a it's an interesting thing. I think poorly built systems from, from legacy times um, create extra jobs yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and jobs that I think people aren't necessarily happy with. And so there's also that balance of saying, listen, if we fix these things, it's not that your job is going to go away. It's that you're going to be able to go and do other things that you're probably, probably the bullet points that you signed up for in your job to begin with. Yeah. Hey, Richard, you know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time for me to change my friggin' voicemail pin. <laughs> one, two, six, eight. Thank you, one, Mr. Two, Unger. Six, eight. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. No, it's time to announce the winner of a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection. One lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club is going to win. All right. But first, I need to tell you that Telerik recently released DevCraft for Q2 2013. The 10 new controls and over 250 new features across all six of their UI control suites allow you to cover more scenarios out of the box. Tile list for Ajax, calendar, data storage, touch, and more for Windows 8, as well as offline cloud data synchronization for Windows Phone and Cloud Emboss are just a few of the major new things. The newly introduced, you looking at me like Emboss, mobile back, back end as a service? Emboss. Emboss. Uh, the newly introduced graph interactivity support in Telerik Reporting helps you create even more interactive reports. JustCode's new integration with Just Decompile allows you to debug third-party libraries without having the source code available. Very cool. Check it out at Telerik.com, and don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Indeed. So who's our winner, Bob? The winner of the Telerik DevCraft Complete Control today is Chris Newark. Welcome. Congratulations, Chris. Chris Newark. Fantastic. And uh, we also give away another thing at this time, which is a Franklin Brothers Lifeboat to Nowhere CD. If you like classic rock, when you know, good vocals, great horns, good melodies, and uh, just good, good feeling, good time music. Uh, that's, that's what this is. Uh, it's my brother and I, Lifeboat to Nowhere is the name of the album. It's on iTunes and Amazon.com, but we're going to give a free CD to Jim Priestley today. Congratulations, Jim. Enjoy that. If you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members. Every show, we give away stuff, and every December, we give away $5,000, $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the fan club. And we like to ask our guests, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology, Mr. Unger, what would it be? What would you get? It's ought to be good. You did not come prepared. I, I did see. not come prepared. No. Nope. You know, um, so I'm a bit of a gamer, and I've got an outdated MAME cabinet at home. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love MAME. And you have I, a MAME cabinet. Oh, yeah. I built it. And oh, um, dude. My, my monitor is kind of out, Whoa. and so I'd kind of like to replace that, and I think I'd probably uh, – I, I got some kids who would love some new updated Mac equipment, so, you know. But, you know, the thing is, you don't need that high resolution for main because it's all those old 8-bit games anyway. They are, but yeah. the 27-inch monitor that I have or have that needs to be replaced or yeah. degoffed is, um, I think it's about four or 500 bucks yeah. or, or upwards. And, um, and I have a wife who would probably, you know, tear out my eyes sure. if I just went and bought you that. You probably want to go with an LCD now, you know? No, I, I, I would like to stay You want kinda, to stay with the two? I want to stay honest, All yeah. sort of vintage? Uh, wow. Yeah, it's the best. Yeah, so we might as well buy a couple of spares while you're at it because it's going to break again. Well, I would probably buy it and I would probably, you know, go out and buy or, or 
have made a custom MAME cabinet right. or two. I like the uh, the, the sit-down uh, side-by-side cocktail cabinets. Nice. I'd love to get one of those as well as kind of a nice new machine uh, for the rec room. game in the MAME stack? Yeah, I was just about to ask you that. Uh, so I... What we're talking about, first of all, is multiple arcade machine emulator. Correct. It's, it's a way that you can, they actually rip off the old ROMs from these games and they run them legit. on an emulator and you can, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, they're not legit. <laughs> no, there, there are very legit uh, oh, they options are? to handle those. Yeah. Oh, oh, so cool. you can buy those that are licensed, et cetera. Oh, good. And, and mine is 100% and fully licensed. Well, that's great. It's great to hear. I'm glad that. Uh, but, but anyway, you can play the old arcade games from the 80s that we used to play when we were kids and, uh, my, my command yeah. and my favorites are um are, I play a lot of um asteroids it's yeah. my, it's my go to very old school very um oh I had a pong I had an original pong sure when I was so little. did I um and I also love joust oh yeah, that, yeah awesome the whole William stack joust Robotron Defender all great games and and my absolute favorite is uh, Crazy Climber we had to use oh the yeah two the two controllers and you had to yeah and climb, climbing up the building and had that little music do 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 yeah love that game and they drop the little pots on your head and stuff yep. so yeah those those are kind of my go tos I, I my kids are nine and five and I I've got them into kind of the Ms Pac Man's of the world so you have track balls and joysticks and all that stuff I've got a uh, Two eight-way joysticks, a four-way joystick, so I could play my Pac-Man's and your your games that don't require angles. Don't have corners, yeah. And then I've got a trackball and a spinner, awesome. and like buttons for left, right, up, down, and yes, fire all and of all that, that, and for putting in coins and stuff. Yeah, it's it's a good time. Yeah, so I would <laughs> probably for putting in coins. I love it. Yeah, well, quarter, but, quarter, 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 quarter. <laughs> all right. So I I got a I got an old story for you. My brother's gonna kill me, but you know what? <laughs> you know what he used to do with his friends? Uh, there was a there was a, a place that had an asteroids machine, and asteroids was one of those had one of those slots that was front facing, had a front facing slot, and they used to drill holes in quarters in the top of quarters, and with a fishing line, attach a fishing line to it, and go down to this machine and you know lift it up, put it in, lift it up, put it in, lift it up, put it in, lift it up, and you know rack up hours and hours of credits, and then when they're done, you just yank, and the fishing line comes off, and the quarter drops in. And next thing you know, we're going to be talking about old phone dialers and red boxes and no, things like no. that. Who right? would do I mean, that? Nobody would. We'd never that. talk about that. Who would do that? No Nobody one would ever do that. <laughs> All right, Steve Jobs wouldn't even do that. <laughs> Steve Jobs not doing much anymore. Uh, can we talk a little about, about tools? I mean, you talked about your, your experiment there, and some of the guys were prototypers, so they actually used tools for doing wireframing? You know, yeah. Um, Fred Beecher, he's a good friend. He works up at the Nerdery in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. He, uh, the Nerdery? He, the Nerdery. That's yes, awesome. it is. Um, I, he's got this great apprenticeship program, but he is fantastic at a tool called Axure. 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 A-X-U-R-E. Axure RP, uh, rapid prototyping. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he used that tool, so it generates prototypes. You can do a lot of... You know, expand and contract. You can you can show and, and hide layers and, and do all kinds of fun things with it. Um, he used that. Uh, Todd used um, HTML. He used uh, Fireworks and HTML. I used Balsamic, which is a tool I had never used before at the time. Oh yeah, and it's kind of a sketchy wireframe tool. And uh, Will Evans used um, OmniGraffle. So we all use different tools. Uh, different tools, and I used one that I hadn't used before just to kind of test the theory that it really doesn't matter what tool you use it just matters that you're getting those ideas down and getting things out there for people to kind of react and respond to right um so there's a number of different tools i think um if i had to guess i would say the majority of your your ux audience is going to use OmniGraffle and or uh Axure. um i'll say the word visio and people will cringe and i'm trying not you to could have said powerpoint <laughs> so this is no and then joke. He dropped the mic and walked away. <laughs> no joke. I just got an email Russ. from a recruiter today that said wireframes will be done in Visio and PowerPoint. Oh, and I wondered, and certainly that that came from somebody in the company. And I just wondered if companies are even trying anymore <laughs> when when they say that. Um, and I'm all for whatever tool is convenient and comfortable for you. In fact, uh, and recognize I'm, that pen and paper is a tool. Yeah, and and there's a guy by the name of uh, Trevor Isaacs. He's down in Texas, and he's created tools. Um, he's created something called Keynote Kung Fu. So if you're a Mac user. Mm-hmm. You can use his his UI widgets and components to build out actual prototypes that you can export in Keynote. Of, yeah, in Keynote. And, and Keynote is 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 the Mac, the, the Mac or the and the iPad version of doing presentations. I correct. hate to say the iPad version of PowerPoint because that would be saying very bad things about Keynote. Well, and that would be and worse about PowerPoint because well, Keynote's really freaking cool. It I is kind of fun. It. I like it better, but it's, it's a really neat way of thinking. It, 
it, it is. And, and so he's created a suite of, of widgets and stuff that you or drop in components that you can use to create your own prototypes. Mm-hmm. So it really doesn't matter what the tool is. It, right. It really doesn't. Um, I'm a believer if you've got nothing, fine, use paint. I've seen things in Excel and they were, sure. they were awful, but if they convey the message that you're trying to get across and that's you can all that actually matters. Get people to understand it, right? I mean, you can make, take a cell and make it look like a button. It doesn't matter if the corner's rounded or not. Sure. When we were doing speaker idle, I can't remember where, but uh, one guy came up and did his entire presentation, five-minute presentation, in paint. Nice. I think he was showing DNS modeling, too. Like, it was a really technical subject, but he was drawing quickly at paint. But, it, you know, the, you get to the point of, you know the tool well enough to be able to draw quickly and convey the message effectively. So I do think that a good tool is going to make a difference. It's it's really familiarity with a tool, yeah. right? I mean, you get good with anything, it doesn't matter so mm-hmm. much. I mean, it does, there are people, I bet, who can use Lotus Notes yep. like crazy. Rip it out. Uh, I don't know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> I've um, never met them. Exactly. But, I mean, if you're really fluent in a tool, sure, you can do anything with it. Uh, that's But, you know, the old standard of going back to pencil and paper, mm-hmm. that's the tool everybody should be kind of fairly universally familiar with, right? right? That's a great place to start before you ever go digital. But and I gotta think that that's the gauge when you're when you're doing this. Did I am I faster in this thing than pencil and paper? And does it communicate better than pencil and paper? Absolutely. Whiteboards? Uh, I love them. Sure. You know, but they require that you have a, a phone device or something to take pictures of and, and take a look. And yeah. the ideas that you come up with a whiteboard, if you sit down and resketch them out with a pencil and paper, you're gonna change. Yeah. Just like if you go to a digital tool It'll change again. I, I think the important piece is to never start in your digital tool. I yes. mean, if you were, if anybody was sitting down to develop a web application and they started coding right away, they don't have a plan. They don't have an outline of what they're looking at. They may not even know what the pages or states of the application are that they need to design and develop. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly at two in the morning, the night before the deadline, somebody realizes they forgot an entire section. And right. I don't even know where it is and where it links to. Right. And I, I think we've all been there. I've, mm-hmm. I've certainly been on that side where I'm going, oh, crap, this is all due tomorrow and I don't know. And we missed X. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, part of the sketching is to come up with a plan, too. Mm-hmm. You're, you're pulling that all together. Yeah, try to get all those pieces together. So, you all use tools. You all worked on the same project. Yeah. Completely independent of each other. Yeah. I got to mention you had four totally different results. Surprisingly, surprisingly, they were really close together. Interesting. Yeah, and and there was no cheating. I mean, these are these are friends, so we would talk to each other and have really awkward conversations about, about not, not talking yeah. about this. Hey, what's going on? Great. So, all right, gotta go. <laughs> I can't talk about the project because it's all on our minds. Yeah. Um, and I remember having a conversation with Fred, and and both of us were confessing to feeling like we were going to be the idiot in the group yeah like oh man i'm going to show this stuff and you guys are going to go i can't believe you work like that <laughs> um and it was all pretty similar and, and i show well, and you were using a tool you'd never used before absolutely yeah yeah and and i and we had a rule that we had to screen capture everything that we did right and so out of this came four different videos and if you go out to youtube and you search for the right way to wireframe okay you'll find four different videos from myself fred beecher will evans and todd zaki warfel um, with completely different soundtracks, and you'll see how we worked. Um, and it's quite interesting to see, you know. So the, that the was one rule. What are some of the things that you learned from that experience? Um, well, for starters, not being able to talk to users made it really difficult. Right. Um, and we, was that a good constraint, though? It wasn't a good constraint, but we were more focused on showing how our process was in general, so we could see kind of from the artifact process. Because there's there's still plenty of arguments about wireframes versus prototypes. What's sure. the right thing to do? Um, you know, design in the browser, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Cool. But I th- I think we all found out that we all sketched. And and you'll see, like I've got a wall in my office that was filled with note cards um, that I moved around to kind of understand the content. Fred had um, a mirror wall in his kitchen that had post-it notes on it and a, <laughs> likely a pissed off wife for a month. Um, you know, so we found that we were all doing those same t- sort of activities and identifying our content and right. then moving from that into kind of the sketching and moving from that into the wireframe tool and then taking that and, and each giving it to our own visual designer to come up with the final results. Um, so we went all the way through. Now, we didn't have a, a developer defined. We didn't know if this was going to be done in Drupal or .NET or whatever. Right. We we went kind of pie in the sky, um, and and that was kind of our approach. So right. that, you know, by not having the ability to talk to users, not knowing our development platform, 
it made us a little uncomfortable mm-hmm. because you had to guess of what could be done and, and realize that some things might have to be sacrificed right. later. On the other hand, it's not bad to set a high water mark and then dial it back as reality hits too. Yeah. Well, it's, it's always better to, you know, I, so I had the advantage at the time I worked in the same place as my visual designer. Mm-hmm. So when I was talking to him with sketches, I'd go downstairs and be like, Hey, what do you think? Right. And we were collaborating. Now I didn't have the benefit of a developer. Mm-hmm. Pushing who I could talk to, on. yeah, pushing back and helping me kind of come up be- better solutions or yeah. maybe, you know, taking some steps out of the processes that I was coming up with. Right. Make things harder or easier. Yeah, exactly. So you, did you come away with some axioms here? Did, did any of the designs really stand out like it was a better approach to doing it? You know, um, I think everybody's was, was really good. It seemed like the one that was done with balsamic kind of rose to the surface. I'm sorry, um, yours? I, well, it was the one the, you'd the never one, used before? I'm just saying that in, all of them were really good. Right. Um, and maybe was it one of them was unanimous that yours was the best? No, no. <laughs> yeah, if, I, if I had some uh, questions around to some folks. No, you know, if I, if I remove my smart aleck vibe, um, they were all really, really good designs. Um, the process itself was important to see. And, and I have a video in my presentation that shows it. Um, it was really, to me, it was just eye opening. And I was kind of relieved that, mm-hmm. you know, three people whose talents I respect, right. their process was similar right. to mine. And, and our end results were fairly similar. It was mm-hmm. kind of interesting. We all had the same requirements. So you know? what you learned is it doesn't really matter what you use to sketch just uh, or what you said, yeah. To what tool frame. you use, right? right. To wireframe, um, do that sketching and that thinking first, so you can get it all out, mm-hmm. and that made everything so much easier for us. Now, you know, in general, it would have been great to have better collaboration with others. Yeah, but we were all doing this alone in our own little vacuum, and I think we all prefer to work with a team of people with with different specialties and skills right. that can kind of help this move along. And have some pressure on the design and absolute validation as things go right. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is this is the benefit of working in teams when you've got a a, a person who has a different set of skills, like a developer yeah. and a designer who can absolutely talk to each other and be respectful about yeah, that doesn't work and and explain why and come help come up with solutions. Mm-hmm. That collaboration is the best part of it all. Were there were there common problems that you all had that uh and figured out a ways to avoid them? Um, you know, I, I think, again, it's that we couldn't talk to a user. We couldn't, and we didn't actually talk to the client ourselves. Right. We had a friend mediate and sort of do that. Um, so we had all of that information, that research handed to us. We didn't know the development platform. Those were the common problems that we all addressed. I mean, that was that was kind of the challenge, which was cool to see that we were thinking like that. There was no sort of, we don't care what it is, developers will deal with it. Right. That, that was kind of a nice thing to see. It almost begs the question, shouldn't you redo this experiment and add some of those constraints in, you know? That's a, that's a good question. I don't know if there's time in the world to do it, but yeah. it's, it's a really good question. Um, it would be interesting to see if we went away with four different teams and did this. Right. And, and came up with the same thing. So, yeah, yeah. that's that's kind of a cool idea. Well, you're just adding more influence all around, but especially from the customer perspective. If you have, if you, have you, you want access to the client. If you access to the same client, all four of you, I don't know if that would distort data more than having four different people represent the client. It, it might depend uh, which order you got to speak to the client, too. Yeah. After it, two or three rounds of questions, the they, client... They're yeah. going to trim up their answers and be more efficient. You have an advantage of going last. Whereas you have four different people, you're going to have that re- reflection effect that each person actually interprets the app differently. and will tend to push it off in different directions. And I think there are these project jams excuse me, the startup weekends, the things like that that happen, you know, product jams or, or uh, web jams or whatever you want to yeah. call them, where people get together and do these 24-hour projects mm-hmm. as quickly as they can or hackathons. Um, and that's, I think, what we could probably do differently is, mm-hmm. is do kind of a full-blown hackathon around Start doing what imp- these are. Have some implements. I mean, the other side of this is then actually building the same app in four different platforms. Absolutely. And, yeah. You know, sort of speak to how did that go? Yeah, that's, you know, now we're getting one of those things where it's time and money. Yeah, it's clearly getting out of control <laughs> at this point, but it's yeah. fun to imagine because we don't have to pay for it. Absolutely. Well, and I think that, you know, if you go into a, a hackathon and, and you take a large company out there and you make everybody try to design the same mapping tool. Sure. And see what they do and, and have access to the same set of clients. Now, that could be kind of interesting to see what the four different teams came up with. Right. Well, and, and see, see how that works. Pull out a new metaphor, a new way of thinking from at least one of them. You know, that, that, that I think that sort of blind experimentation lends itself to occasional flashes of insight. Yeah. I mean, there's no loser when you do this, even sure. if you're not the one selected, which, you know, unfortunately the other three folks were that way. Uh, <laughs> I kid, I kid, I kid. We're all equals. Um, <laughs> they, you know, this will eventually be published. <laughs> your friends will get to play it over and over and over again while throwing darts at a picture of your face. That will not be anything new. <laughs> 
I, I don't mean to change gears too far here, but after an app's already out in the world and they're working on the next version, does wireframing still make sense? Uh, well, you've got to do some changes mm-hmm. or some updates, enhancements. Uh, I think people would like to see what those look like right? And, and kind of agree before that happens. Or even take those wireframes or prototypes or sketches and put them in front of users. Make sure it makes sense. I mean, yeah. that validation along the way, you know, the reality is you should go out and see what's going on and, and see if anything's right or wrong with the existing thing. Right. So once you launch, let's go out and... and Wait a little bit and go and start talking and, and listening to those customers and see yeah. what's happening or users. And then if you're going to make changes, let's let's put the enhancements in front of them because change is a is a painful thing for a lot of people. Yeah. Um. No matter how much we ask for it, once we get it, it's not always my change, right? So it um kind of can upset me. Bring in like the user interface pieces of the existing version, then wireframe over top of them to show what you change, or stick with a wire the wireframe version you made originally that they ultimately made a manifestation of and alter that. You know, we'd probably start over a little bit because um, if you add something new, you're adding or, or taking something away. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of things that could be impacted. Sure. You, you think that you're taking away a, a single button or a navigation element, but yeah. what else is happening to all that content and, yeah. and where does it go? So Wait, What's the impact? I think you have to take a look at that from a bigger perspective and you, mm-hmm. you probably would start at the very high level of what your application or sitemap is. Okay. That's fair. So, I mean, we're coming down to the wire a little bit here. It's been a fast hour. Clearly, you fall on the side of wireframing over prototyping. I think. Nah, no, I don't. I, I think that um, each tool has its appropriate place and time. Right. Uh, to be very, very frank about it, um, I look at pages like terms and conditions. Yeah. And I think so. Somebody in legal is going to write this. <laughs> Should I really prototype I think, that? I think somebody in legal is going to cut and paste this because they clipboard only, inheritance. Yeah, yeah. They only ever get longer. Nobody's shortening <laughs> any of those darn things. But I mean, you know, things like that. I don't know if it makes sense to prototype those. Yeah, uh, and do, does it make prototype as much as you need to prototype to get something across? Mm-hmm. Um, if that makes means it makes sense to a developer or a user, and you need to test functionality, mm-hmm. cool, then do that. But I don't think that you necessarily have to prototype everything, everything out, yeah. right? And and if we were doing a marketing website, would it make sense for me to fully prototype all the interactions of going from one back to school sale piece to the next back right. to school? piece or the game or whatever it is does it make sense to to prototype those things I, yeah. so i don't know I, I think you have to take a good look at things and balance of of what's the need sure what's actually important yeah so if you have one design tip to give to a website guy yeah what is it uh before you ever get into a digital tool pick up your pencil and paper okay we already gave them that one, though. You have, a, you have another You one. didn't say it couldn't be the one. Well, okay. That's the good one. That is that, a good that one. That is the really good one. Is I mean, even if, you're, even if you're the best developer on the planet, I don't think you should sit down and code without getting into my pencil tip, and paper. My tip to web developers is use, or any designer, is use as few words as possible. I like that one. My mom has been saying that to me for years. Yeah. yeah I still get kind of an F+. Plus. I think that's um, just a a design thing in general, though. You know, use as few words as possible. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's yeah for for us. Um, one of the things that I say a lot is um, when it comes to documentation, for example, yeah. is um, provide as much as they need, but as little as you can give them. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's exactly what you're yeah, saying. As much too. as they need, and no more. Right. <laughs> very good, Russ. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's been great having you, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com.
got to transmit a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a 